We're going to take a look at the nine divine exchanges that took place upon the cross of Christ as well. And that's the title of my message this evening, His Robe for Our Rags. Amen. How many of you are glad that God has good taste in clothes? Amen. When it comes to spiritual things, we might not know how to dress ourselves properly, but God knows exactly how to dress us. Amen. And that's the, that's the divine exchange that we're going to look at this evening. His robe for our rags. Before we do, we'll go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Amen. Father God, we just thank you that you are in this house this evening. I thank you, Father God, that every need that we have is met according to your riches and glory. I thank you, Father God, that everything we have need of tonight has been provided through the cross of Jesus Christ. To the great gift that you gave us through your son, Jesus Christ. So, God, I pray that whatever need we have tonight, that we would place our hope and our confidence and our trust in what you've already provided. Let every single one of us here know tonight that you've given us already through your son everything that we need pertaining to life and righteousness. I thank you, God, for the divine exchange that took place upon the cross. I thank you tonight, Father God, that you were willing to give us your robe for our rags. Anoint me this evening, Father God, because I can't do this on my own. Anoint my words, anoint my mouth, my heart, my mind, that I would be able to bring forth with clarity your words, God, and your, your promise and your direction and your will. Anoint your people as well to receive that they would be able to set aside all the distractions, the cares, the concerns of the week, and focus on you. So we yield ourselves to you and we give you ourselves in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you know, it's, it's been a couple weeks since uh, I've spoke on a Wednesday night. It seems like more than that. It's been a while. I know I, I spoke a couple Sundays ago, but it's good to be back behind the pulpit and uh, since it's been a couple weeks, I, I want to spend just a, a moment or two to uh, refresh our memories. And really quickly, I want to uh, refresh us and look once again at the first two exchanges that we've already covered. We're looking, we're in this journey to the cross, focusing on the, the divine exchanges that took place there. The first exchange that took place was his punishment for our forgiveness. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Uh, the chastisement or the punishment of our peace was placed on his shoulders, church. And we need to remember that it was his, he took our punishment and he offered his forgiveness instead. That was the first exchange that took place on the cross. We need to remember that as the soldiers gambled for his garments at the foot of the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. When he could have called 10,000 angels to come and set him free, and he could have had a little Roman barbecue right there at the foot of the cross, he offered forgiveness. Uh, so he took our punishment and offered us forgiveness instead. The second exchange was his stripes for our healing. And what I hope that we have learned over the last couple weeks with Pastor Darrell's message on healing and the message that I brought the week before on healing, what I've hoped that we have learned in this part of the, the uh, Divine Exchange series was uh, that healing was part of the atonement, that healing is part of the atonement. Just like forgiveness was made available to us through the cross and through the blood, so is healing, church. Remember the Word of God tells us in that same passage of Scripture that by His stripes we are healed. Amen? They are part of the same verse. 
They are part of the same atonement. Forgiveness and healing are part of the same covenant. They're part of the same promise. And just like we should have faith that he had the power to forgive us, we should walk in faith and believing that he has the power and has provided for our healing as well. And before I move on to the third exchange, I want us to see once again how closely knit salvation and healing really are. If there's anything I believe that we must learn to claim and, and, and believe as part of God's promise, it is this thing of healing. So I just want to take just a couple minutes to show you once again how closely knit salvation and healing really are. How they are both part of the same benefit package that Jesus Christ provided to us as he hung on the cross on Calvary. And when you're looking at you don't need to go there, but when you look at the book of Matthew chapter 9 and even in the book of Luke chapter 8, uh, when we look at the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, when she touched Jesus, the Bible says that his power flowed from him and she was immediately healed. And Jesus said in the middle of all this that was going on after she touched him, Jesus said, who touched me? And this woman at first was, was afraid to acknowledge that she was the one that touched him. And you'll understand why in just a second. Initially, she didn't want to be recognized. Initially, she was afraid or reluctant to say that it was I that touched you because she was afraid of the consequences. She was afraid of what Jesus' response might have been. And she was afraid of what the, the consequences might have been for her doing what she did. Uh, but Jesus said after she, she finally responded and said, it is I, I'm the one that touched you. Jesus looked at her and said, daughter, or said, woman, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. And what, what I want us to understand is this, this phrase that Jesus used, the phrase where he said, made well, in the English, that's the word we read in English. How many of you remember the Bible wasn't written in English? It was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And so the, uh, what I want us to understand without getting too teachy in the English, that phrase made well comes from the Hebrew word, root word sozo. And that word actually means saved. The word sozo that was used here and the word that Jesus used when he said, you, uh, your faith has made you well or your faith has healed you, it, it actually means it has saved you. And that word means to rescue from danger and destruction. It means to deliver from the penalties of messianic judgment. It means to heal and restore. And all of those definitions that I just gave you come from the same Hebrew word sozo. So in other words, Jesus said to this woman who touched him, what he actually said to her is, woman, your faith has sozo, or your faith has saved you. And if you look at the definitions, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want you to understand what, she, what he was saying. He said, your faith has rescued you from danger and destruction. Your faith has just delivered you from the messianic penalties and the, the penalties of messianic judgment. And he was saying your faith has healed you and restored you. You see, in this woman's case, we have to realize that she was saved from transgression and from its penalties and from her sickness as well. You see, what you have to remember when you read this is this woman broke the law when she left her house. 
What you have to remember about this whole story is this woman broke the law and she transgressed when she pressed through the crowd in order to touch Jesus. What you need to understand is that when this woman brushed against the crowd, every time she touched someone, she transgressed and broke the law because she was unclean and really wasn't even supposed to leave her house. What you and I need to understand about this passage is the closer she got to Jesus the more she transgressed. The, the, the farther she pressed on and the closer she came to the hem of the garment, the greater the punishment and penalty was resting upon her because she was unclean. So what we need to understand, church, when this woman said to herself, the Bible says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be made well She used the same exact word sozo as Jesus did. She was saying to herself, if I, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be spared the, the messianic punishment. She was recognizing the fact that she was breaking the law as she was going to Jesus. But she was saying to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be spared the punishment. I would I would not suffer the punishment for my transgression and I would be healed as well. You see, back then they understood that Jesus saved and Jesus healed. They understood that there was such a connection between the work of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ that they automatically connected salvation and healing together. And you read all through Scripture, you'll see how many times someone got saved and healed immediately at the same exact time. You see, you and I need to understand the same power that heals us is the same power that forgives us. And the same power that forgives us is the same power that heals us. That is what took place on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the second divine exchange. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our inequities, and by his stripes we are healed. You and I need to learn to walk under that divine exchange, amen? You and I learn to, need to learn to take authority over the devil when sickness comes against us and proclaim that this was provided for on the cross of Jesus Christ, amen? So I, w- I want to move on from that, but I just wanted to show you that and, and get you to understand that both the power to forgive and heal flowed from the same Savior. It flowed from the same garment. It flowed from the same hem. It flowed from the the same God. And it flowed from the same cross. It's available to you and me. We need to understand the power of the cross of Christ. Now, finally, the third exchange that took place on the cross of Christ was his righteousness in place of our sin. His robe of righteousness in place of our filthy spotted rags. His righteousness in place of our unrighteousness. His righteousness in place of our lying and cheating and stealing and adultery and fornication and and gossip and greed and envy and drunkenness and lying and every other uh, iniquity that I could name. It was His righteousness in place of our unrighteousness. This was the third divine exchange that took place on Calvary. The first exchange provided salvation to the sinner. 
The second exchange provided healing to the sick, both spiritually and physically. And the third exchange provided righteousness to the unrighteous. It provided a robe for our rags, just like my title says. How many of you are glad, like I said in the very beginning, God knows how to dress his sons and daughters. God's know, God knows how to properly dress you and me. He knows how to cause us to stand blameless before God with great joy. And he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 10 introduces us to this third exchange when it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and break him. He has put on Jesus, he has put him, Jesus, to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. I know that some of you may not understand what that that might mean, absolutely, but here in Isaiah 53 we are being taught that Jesus was made an offering for our sin. It says that God the Father made the soul of His Son an offering for sin. He made the soul of His Son a once and for all sacrifice that would forever satisfy the Father and that would take our guilt away as well. How many of you are glad that He doesn't just forgive us, He takes away our guilt as well? He takes away the sentence and he takes away the punishment, but he takes away our guilt as well. And I'm going to explain that as we go. In order to better understand this passage, you have to remember that the book of Isaiah was a shadow, just like the rest of the Old Testament. It was a shadow of things to come. It was an example of the future which would one day appear. It was a a preview of tomorrow that was shown to us today. Isaiah gave God's people a glance into the divine exchange that would one day take place on a hill called Golgotha. And if you recall, under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, if you committed a sin... Or if you were guilty of a trespass or a transgression, you had to find an appropriate offering for that sin and you had to present it to the priest. If you were the guilty party, you were the one that had to present an offering. You were the one that had to bring a sacrifice, whether it was a bull or whether it was a goat or whether it was a sheep or or a lamb or a ram. You had to bring it to the priest at the tabernacle. And when you brought your offering, you had to confess your sin as well. You had to confess your trespass against God. You had to, contr- uh, you had to confess your your transgressions and your iniquities to the Father. And then once, listen, then after you would uh, confess your transgressions and confess your sins, you would lay your hand on the head of the sacrifice. And when you did that, you were symbolically transferring your sin and the penalty of your sin onto the animal from yourself. So in other words, you would carry the sacrifice to the priest. You would confess all of your iniquities. And you would hand him your sacrifice, and before he slaughtered the lamb, you would lay your hand on the head of that sacrifice, and symbolically, all of your iniquity and all of your sins and all of your unrighteousness and all of your dirty deeds were transferred from you onto the animal. And once that took place, then you actually exacted the penalty of your sins and the penalty of your iniquity and the penalty of your transgressions on the animal as well by killing it. You would kill the animal 
instead of killing yourself. The animal would bleed instead of you bleeding. The animal would die instead of you dying. The animal would pay the price instead of you paying the price. And what you need to understand, all of that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ did on the the, the cross of Calvary. It was a foreshadowing of the divine exchange that I'm talking about today. Jesus was the precious Lamb of God who had every one of our sins transferred onto Him, all of our iniquities transferred onto Him, all of our all of our dirty, dark deeds transferred onto Him, along with the punishment and the penalty of those sins. That's what you and I need to understand, and that's what this divine exchange was all about. He, he, he took everything dirty about us along with its punishment, church. Once you would confess your sin and it was transferred onto them, the animal paid the price. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the animal suffered for your sin. The animal bled for your sin. The animal died for your sin. In a sense, uh, the, the, the animal was paying a penalty for, for that person's particular sin. How many of you know the Bible says the wages of sin is death? You see, the reality is, and we sometimes forget this, the wages of sin is death. There's no way you can disconnect the two. If you remember my teaching early on, the word iniquity in Hebrew means avon, and the punishment for that same iniquity is avon as well. You cannot pull the two apart. Where there is sin, there is death. There is no way around it. You might not, you can go out there and you can sin and you can do what you want and you can live it up and you can do all of that and you, and just because there's, there's no consequences right away, don't, don't deceive yourself and think that you can get away. The wages of sin is death. There is always death attached to sin. The the wondrous work of Jesus Christ, however, He's the one that died so that you and I could live. That was the great transaction that took place on the cross of Calvary. He paid the price. He was the Lamb. He was the one that suffered and died so that you and I wouldn't have to. We always must remember that someone or something has to die when, when there is sin involved. Someone always had to pay the price. And Jesus paid it for you and me. As I've said, everything about the Old Covenant was a foreshadowing of the New Covenant. Every time you read the Old Testament, especially when you read Isaiah, it is a type of things to come. And in Isaiah, we get a glimpse of the New Covenant. In Isaiah, we get a glimpse of the sacrifice that would once and for all satisfy the Father forever and wash away every single sin. In Isaiah, when you read it, and take the time, church, to read it. If you've been doing the read the Bible through in a year, you've been reading. So read it. The reality is, in Isaiah, we get a glimpse of the divine exchange that would one day take place on the cross of Jesus Christ at this place called Golgotha Church, or Calvary, when Isaiah says, God made the soul of his son an offering for sin. Jesus' soul was made an offering for the entire human race. Once and for all, it was done. God transferred every sin of all humanity, your sin, my sin, everybody's sin out there, every, every sin that was and every sin that will be, it was all transferred onto the soul of His only begotten Son so that you and I could live. Jesus died so that you and I could live. And this is part of this divine exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 gives us an even clearer understanding of this third exchange when it says, God 
made his own son who knew no sin to be made sin for us. Think about it, church. God made his only begotten son who knew no sin to be made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Think about it. The one who knew no sin became sin. The one who had no sin became sin. The one who had no guilt, even in Pilate's eyes, who, who had to sentence him, stood up and said, I find no guilt in this man because he was completely innocent. But the one who had no guilt in him became guilt for you and me. The one that had no sin in him became sin for you and me. Why did he have to become sin? If he didn't become sin, he couldn't take the punishment of sin. So Jesus became sin for you and me. He became ugly for you and me. He became wicked for you and me. He became a fornicator for you and me. He became an adulterer for you and me. He became a drunk for you and me. The spotless, innocent Lamb of God became everything ugly in God's eyes so God could look at you and me. This was the trade that took place on Calvary Church. And we must understand the, the power of this divine exchange. Oh, how can that be? Jesus really became a prostitute? Jesus really? Absolutely. He became sin. The Bible says it. God made His own Son sin so that we could become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Come on, church. There's a reason to rejoice there. What He did for you and me. Our sin was transferred on to Christ at the cross of Calvary. Every evil, every iniquity, along with its death sentence, along with its punishment, along with its consequences, church, were placed on Jesus instead of us. God made the soul of His Son an offering for our sins so that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. Amen? Understand, there's only one way for us to acquire the righteousness of God, and that's by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. It's by faith in the name of Jesus Christ. It's by faith in the Son of God. It's by faith, do you understand, church, in the word of Jesus Christ. Faith that Jesus became our sin so that we might take on his righteousness. There's a lot of people walking in sin today because they just don't have faith in the work of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people struggling with sin simply because they don't have faith in the work of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of individuals, even in the house of God, who walk around depressed, who walk around with a heavy heart, who walk around with shame and guilt and condemnation because they don't have faith in the powerful work of Jesus Christ because they don't truly believe that the power of God's blood has enough power over my sin. So they walk in shame and guilt and condemnation instead of understanding that I am a son, that I have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, that, that, that all my sins have been washed away. And now, through the work of Jesus Christ, I've got me on a, a robe of righteousness so that when God the Father looks at me, He don't see my sin, and He don't see my ugliness, and He doesn't see my iniquity. He he sees the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. We need faith, church, 
to please God. We need faith to, to have these divine exchanges manifested in our life. How many of you know without faith it's impossible to please God? But when you have faith in what God has done for you, when you have faith in this divine exchange that took place on Golgotha's hill, your life will be transformed forever. You will walk differently, talk differently, leave differently, breathe differently when you have faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, the truth is Jesus is the one that makes us righteous, not ourselves. I don't care how much you struggle and try and attempt to do good deeds all day, and good deeds are good, but they won't make you righteous. There's nothing you can do that will make you righteous. Listen, our works don't make us righteous. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do good works. Our tithes and our offerings and our financial blessings won't make us righteous. Not to say we shouldn't tithe and give. I hope you understand, church, that our three-piece suit and our nice clothes and our fancy shoes, they don't make us righteous, church. All the singing that we do and all the dancing that we do, they don't make us righteous. All the serving that we do and even all the sacrificing we do for the kingdom of God, none of that makes you righteous. It might make you mature. It, it, it might help you to be a little bit more well-pleasing to the Father. It might give you a better testimony to a lost and dying world. But there's only one thing and one person that has the power to make you righteous. And it's not you. And it's not me. It's the precious Lamb of God who hung Himself up on a cross, who laid Himself down for a friend, who said, I will take on Myself the sins of this world so My sons and daughters can be righteous once again that's who makes us righteous it's not of ourselves church lest any man should boast remember free gift of God is grace it's not by works that we're saved lest any man should boast it's a gift that has come from God church Jesus makes us righteous Jesus makes us blameless Jesus makes us without guilt Isaiah 61.10 teaches us the same thing when it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. These are the words of Isaiah. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices greatly in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Please look at what he said. Isaiah said, he clothed me. He arrayed me. He clothed me with garments of salvation. He clothed me in a robe of righteousness. And it was no work of my own, Isaiah was saying. Remember, Isaiah was the one that said in Isaiah 64, 6, I believe it is, that all of my righteousness is like filthy rags. Isaiah was a man that loved God with all of his heart, and yet he was the one that said, All of my righteousness, all of my good deeds, all of my preaching, all of my prophesying, all of my good works, all of my good words, all of that that might look good to man is filthy in the eyes of God. How many of you know that's exactly where we are, church? It's exactly where we are, no matter what we muster up, no matter what we do. It is all ugly in the eyes of God unless it is covered in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that looks good in the eyes of God. It's the only thing that He'll look at. 
He turns away from sin. He turned away from his son on the cross because he became sin. Till he went to the grave and came back up and then he and his father were reunited. Listen, the same thing goes to us. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, we can't be united with the father. This is what we have to understand. But it was he that clothed me and he that arrayed me. Isaiah was basically saying, I don't know how to dress myself when it comes to spiritual things. I don't know how to dress myself when it comes to this thing called righteousness. God himself has to dress me. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? Listen, you and I may be able to get up in the morning and put on a nice three-piece suit and a nice shiny pair of four-shine shoes. The ladies out there might be able to coordinate a blouse and a nice handbag and a nice pair of shoes. But when it comes to this thing called righteousness, there's only one person that can dress us. And that is God Himself. The man that goes out there, the woman that goes out there and thinks they can dress themselves all up nice and neat for God with their own works and their own doings, they're fooling themselves. You got to every day make sure that you are dressed in the righteousness of God. You and I every day need to remember and remind ourselves that God is the only one that can dress us properly. Only one. And that's why we have to understand this divine exchange that took place on Calvary's Hill Church. Here in this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 61.10 is where we discover the wonder-working power of the cross in this third divine exchange. When Isaiah said, I will delight greatly in the Lord. I will greatly rejoice in my God. And if you study this yourself, you'll discover that in the Hebrew, what Isaiah was actually saying was, I will rejoice rejoicing. Doesn't sound right in English, so obviously in the interpretation we change it so we can understand it. But what Isaiah was actually saying in the Hebrew, if you read it, is, I will rejoice rejoicing. There was a double emphasis on the rejoicing, and I'll share that in a minute. Why the double emphasis on rejoicing? Because in this passage, there is a double blessing. In this passage, there's a double transaction that took place. There's a double trade that was made. There was a bonus blessing that was added to the first blessing. I will rejoice rejoicing, Isaiah said, because he has clothed me with garments of salvation and... He has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as well. And that is why he would rejoice rejoicing. It's why I rejoice rejoicing, Isaiah said, because I got something I didn't deserve and I got a bonus blessing in the process. How many of you ever been there, church? You ever been doubly blessed? You ever been in that place where you know you don't deserve one thing and God gave you two? You ever been in that place where you know you deserve death, but God gave you life and gave you life more abundantly? You ever been in that place where you know you deserve to, to stay where you were at, but God not only brought you out, He lifted you to a higher place. He brought you out of the pit and He put you into a palace. You ever been in that place where you know you got what you didn't deserve and you got a little bit more in the process, church? You ever been in that place where you know you deserve to be with the pigs, but God gave you a ring? And God gave you a robe, and God gave you a fatted calf instead. You ever been to that place where you know you deserve nothing, but God poured himself out anyway? 
He poured it out, pressed down, shaken together and flowing over. I want you to understand that's what the cross of Christ is all about. I want you to understand that this divine, that's what this divine exchanges are all about. It says all about us getting something we didn't deserve. And it's what happened here. His righteous robe for our filthy rags. You ever been in that place where a simple thank you wasn't enough? You ever been in that place where a single song didn't properly express the gratitude that you felt in your heart because of something God did for you or, or something God sent you uh, sent to you? Have you ever been in that place where you just had to rejoice rejoicing? Where you had to sing singing? Where you had to dance dancing? Listen, if you've never been in that place where you sing singing... You don't know anything about this divine exchange. If you've never been in that place where you found yourself dancing, dancing, you've never experienced this divine exchange. If you've never found yourself in that place where you find yourself rejoice, rejoicing, rejoicing, you're missing out on everything that God has made available to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us should be in this place of Isaiah where we rejoice rejoicing because of what God has done. He said, I will rejoice rejoicing because of the great work of God in my life. Not only did He save me, He made me righteous. Not only did he say, I forgive you, he wiped away every trace of my sin. Do you understand what I mean? It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to be called righteous. It's, another, it's one thing to be forgiven. And it's another thing for there to be no trace of your past in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? You see, we're the ones that cling to our past. We're the ones that hold on to our past. We're the ones that won't let go of our past. For some odd, strange reason, we martyr ourselves over our past, and we think it makes us more righteous in the eyes of God. If I beat myself up enough, if I, if I woe is me enough, if I, if I tell God how much I, I don't deserve it and I, I won't accept it, not doing a God favor for that. We're actually minimizing the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Listen, Isaiah said... I rejoice rejoicing because my God in heaven gave me two things I didn't deserve. And every day we got to do the same thing. Listen, every day you wake up, there ought to be a dance in your dance. There ought to be a shout in your shout. There ought to be a song in your song. There ought to be a clap in your clap because of what God did for you. Is there anyone here tonight that knows what it means to rejoice rejoicing because God gave me something I didn't deserve? Listen, it's exactly what Isaiah was saying. And it's what this divine exchange is all about. It's another exchange where we get something we didn't deserve. A bonus blessing, church. God made His Son sin so that we might become the righteousness of God and experience righteousness. Listen, the reality is the power of the cross didn't stop only with being the word I use, sozo. It didn't only stop with being saved from sin and saved from sickness. The cross also has the power, church, to wrap us in a robe of righteousness. Amen? To array us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It has the power to take my filthy rags and put on me a robe of righteousness instead. 
to take my filthy rags and replace them with Christ's royal robe. I rejoice rejoicing because not only has he saved my soul from hell, he has wiped away every trace of the sin that was once going to send me there. I hope you get this this part of the teaching, church. He took what was unpresentable and made it to stand blameless before God with great joy. You see, the reality is, uh, please grasp that. He took which, that which was unpresentable. Every single one of us, without the blood of Jesus Christ, please grasp this. I don't care who you were born to. I don't care what your name is. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care how much money you got. Every single one of us, church, without Jesus Christ, are unpresentable to God. Sin has destroyed us all. There's no amount of money that you have that can make you presentable. There's no position here on earth that's powerful enough that, that, that enables you to be presentable to God. Every single one of us, because of this ugly thing called sin, has become unpresentable to God. But when Jesus, the precious Lamb of God, who offered Himself who laid down his own life, because he said, no one can take it, I lay it down myself, who offered his life when he hung up there on Calvary, and he bled all of his precious blood, he, he made us presentable to God. He, because of his sacrifice, remember when Jesus bled and died, the veil was rent in two. The veil was there because none of us were presentable to God. None of us could step into God's presence. None of us, because of who we are and because of sin, could even dare enter into the Holy of Holies. But because of Jesus Christ and because of His blood, the veil was rent in two. And now, guess what? We become presentable to God. That's why the Bible says we can come boldly now into the throne room of grace so that we can find help in our time of need. We don't have to cower. We don't have to walk around in guilt and walk around in shame. Please listen to me. When you don't accept God's forgiveness... When you don't accept God's righteousness, you belittle his blood. I hope you understand that when you walk around in guilt and shame and condemnation all day, oh, I don't deserve it. Yes, you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But when we walk around all day, when we are controlled by those things, when we're controlled by condemnation, when we're controlled by guilt, when we're controlled by shame, we belittle the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died so you didn't have to walk in guilt. So you didn't have to walk in shame. So that you didn't have to live under condemnation. He shed his blood so that we could be made righteous. So there would be no trace of sin in our life, church. Listen. The power of the, the third divine exchange was his robe for our filthy rags. Salvation is the foundation of our faith. But as I begin to wind this down, here's what I want you to understand. Without justification, you see, the, the, the technical word for this third exchange that took place on the cross is called justification today. This, this transaction that took place on the cross, the work that Jesus did, this third divine exchange justifies us in the eyes of God. It makes us presentable now. In the presence of God. But the technical word that we use for this exchange is justified. Not only are we saved, we're justified as well. We are made righteous. We are made just through Jesus Christ. We are made right with God. Because of the cross, it is, and you've all heard this one, it is just as if I'd never sinned. 
because of the blood and the work of Jesus Christ, because of the cross of Calvary, it is just as if I'd never sinned. Now listen, if you don't have Jesus, if, you, if you've never been to the cross, if you've never confessed your sins, if you've, if, you've, if you've never pled the blood of Jesus Christ over your life, then listen, there is death coming. There is punishment coming. There are the consequences are coming if you're not in that place. But please understand, once you allow the blood of Jesus Christ to come into your life, you are now justified through the power of His blood, and it is just as if you'd never sinned. When we accept Jesus Christ into our life and we are forgiven of our sins, guess what you're supposed to do with those sins? You are to forget them forever. You are to put them aside. God said, I put them in the sea of forgetfulness. But sometimes we put on our little floaties and we swim out to the middle of the sea and we get ourselves some goggles and we sit down there staring at our ugly sin instead of looking up to the one who died so you and I don't have to look at it anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are so ridiculous sometimes when it comes to sin. We'd rather look at our past than look at the cross and look at the eyes of God. When the devil comes against you with guilt and the devil comes against you with shame and the devil comes against you with your past and the devil comes against you with all of these things, you need to remember Isaiah 54, 17 that says, There is therefore no weapon formed against me that shall prosper and every evil word that is spoken in judgment against me I shall condemn. You see, you and I have the power to condemn every single word that is spoken in judgment against us. Why? Not because I'm all that in a bag of chips. Not because I'm a pastor here at South Metro. Not because I got a million dollars in the bank. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ. We have the power. Listen, if you're struggling with condemnation and guilt and shame and your past just won't let you go, you better learn to rise up and condemn the condemner. You better learn to rise up and say, I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I know there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. I know there was a divine exchange that took place on this place called Golgotha's Hill. And because He shed His blood and died, I am now the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You need to learn to rise up and condemn the condemner by saying, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But we walk around like this. Most of our Christian life, while Isaiah was, woo, woo, with a dance in his dance and a song in his song and a clap in his... You understand what Isaiah was saying. That should be you and me. We shouldn't be hanging our head down. We shouldn't be singing the blues. We should be rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing and clapping and clapping and clapping and dancing and dancing and dancing because of what Jesus has done for you and me. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Who, who wants to give God a little praise tonight? Who wants to give God a little clap tonight? Who wants to give God a little hallelujah tonight and a hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Because of what He has done. If you've been doubly blessed, lift up your hand. If you know God has not just saved you, but He has redeemed you and He has justified you, and you stand here tonight just as if you've never sinned, you begin to understand.
understand that He's worthy of our praise and worthy of our adoration. Amen. This is the divine exchange that the devil will work at his hardest to get you to not live up to. This is the one that he brings on every single one of us. Brings guilt. He brings shame. He brings condemnation. You see, the reality is guilt keeps your eyes off God. Guilt keeps your eyes on hell instead of heaven. Because where the the punishment for all of our iniquities is hell, and that's exactly where the devil wants to keep you focused. Wants to keep you focused down here instead of up here. But Jesus was high and lifted up, put on a cross, and he was erected between heaven and hell so that you and I could look up so that we could have something to look forward to, and so that you and I could live above all of the accusations, and above all the condemnation, and above all of the lies that the devil will accuse of us every single day. And when he does, you know what we need to do now, amen? Got some ammunition that you use against the devil. If you're here tonight and you just say, you know, God, I just want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you for your divine exchange. We're not going to really pray for anything tonight. But if you need Jesus, if you're here tonight and you need Jesus, if you need a divine exchange in your life, if you're bound up by guilt and shame and condemnation and you feel you want to come to the altar and you need a divine exchange, God's here to meet that need. But otherwise, as I pray, you just rejoice. You just thank God for what He's done. And when you leave, you tell the devil what God has done. Amen? Father God, I just thank You for Your Word this evening. I thank You for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank You, Father God, for the divine exchange that took place on a place called Calvary, on Golgotha's Hill. I thank You, Father, that Your Son just didn't die in vain, but He died that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He died, Father God, so that we could be justified, so that we could live a life above sin and above guilt and above above condemnation and above shame. I thank you there's power in the blood to forgive us of our sins, no matter how sinful we might be. I thank you that there's power in the blood to make our bodies whole, because by your stripes we are healed. So God, if there's anyone here tonight that's suffering in body and suffering in sickness, that has a disease in their body, God, I pray that the power of your blood would raise them up, Father God, and that you would make them well. I pray, Father God, that that's the seed of faith that's even as small as a mustard seed would be able to stand up, Father God, in the face of their sickness and say, Be thou moved and cast into the sea so they can rise up and walk. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to understand that old things have passed away and all things have become new because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So let us walk in freedom. Let us walk in faith this week. Let us walk in an understanding of who we are because of what you did. You gave us your son, Father God. You made him sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. You made him every ugly thing so that you could look at us, Father God, and so we could look at you. And because of that, we 
rejoice rejoicing because of that we sing singing because of that we dance dancing because of that we shout shouting because of that we clap clapping because of that we thank you thanking father god because you bestowed a double blessing upon your people thank you for it father continue to move in our hearts and prepare us father god for everything you have in store for us as a people and as a church and as a nation we're careful to give you all the praise and all of the glory and all of god's people said amen can we bless the lord one more time church amen amen if you have a special need i'd be happy to tarry and pray with you otherwise be blessed and walk in faith amen